Hey everyone, Jason Malone here. Welcome to the Jesus on Display podcast. Before we begin today's content, I wanted to say thanks for supporting us here at Fellowship Greenville with your gifts and your generosity. Because of your giving, we get to share resources like this podcast with you to help reach you wherever you are in your life with Jesus. If you'd like to support the ministry of Fellowship Greenville, you can head to fellowshipgreenville.org forward slash give to get started. Thanks so much for your support, and we hope you enjoy today's episode. Now go and say to my servant, David, side note, if you're picking up, this is the second time God's referring to David as his servant, not as king, but his servant. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I took you from tending sheep in the pasture and selected you to be the leader of my people, Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. I have destroyed all your enemies before your eyes. And now I'm going to make your name as famous as anyone who's ever lived on the earth. And I will provide a homeland for my people, Israel, planting them in a secure place where they will never be disturbed. Evil nations won't oppress them as they've done in the past. The first part of verse 11 says, starting from the time I appointed judges to rule my people, Israel, and I will give you rest from all your enemies. Okay. Remember, this conversation is taking place as David had an idea about what he could do for God, right? How he could provide something for God. Fast forward to 2024. Have you ever thought something similar or said something similar? Hey God, I've been thinking, I got an idea. And this idea, God, this is something that I could do for you and I think you're really gonna like it if you don't mind blessing it. And God says, no, no, let me remind you about who the true provider is when he's having this conversation with David. Look back at verse eight in your Bibles. God says what? God says, I took you. God says, I selected you. Verse nine, God says, I have been with you. Verse nine, God says, I have destroyed all your enemies. And now it's not just about what I've done, God says, it's about what I'm gonna do. Also in verse nine, God says, I will make your name famous. And then not just talking about David, but all the children of Israel, verse 10, God says, I will provide a homeland for my people. Verse 11, God says, I will give you rest, which harkens back to verse one, where it says the Lord had given David rest, but the rest referred to here in verse 11 is a future rest. And all of this screams what? It screams, I am a God of grace. You will not do anything to earn something from me. Yes, you will do things through me, but make no mistake about the one who is doing the doing. For context, back in the day, it was typical for a king who was being pretty successful through military might to build a temple for the little G God that they were thanking for their success. And the thought was that this little G God would continue to make the king powerful, he would continue to reign, he would continue to have military victories. So that's the context. And God says to David, no, you're not building me a house, not you, not now. 
And in doing so in this moment, God is telling us something about himself. What does this tell us about God? How does it point us to Jesus? And it would simply be this. This is the reminder for some of you. If you're newer with us, maybe no one's ever talked with you about it before. Every other religion says, earn your way. Every other religion, whatever that little G God is, the teachings of that religion and that little G God is you do something for me and then I will do something for you. Then I will bless you. But we're reminded, and some of you have seen this in other places throughout scripture, but we're reminded here, again, 2 Samuel 7, all the action going on before it, all the action that's gonna take place after it, right here in the middle, chapter 7, In the middle of the Old Testament, God says, I'm a God of grace, you don't earn it. He's actually saying, I'm not just different than the gods of other religions, I'm absolutely opposed to them. I'm opposite. I'm not one choice on the shelf of all the things and you can pick me, I'm opposite of all of them. Diametrically opposed to everything they say. Author, pastor, Eugene Peterson says this. He says, I think David was just about to cross over a line from being full of God to being full of himself. David riding the crest of great acclaim, having decisively defeated the opposition, united God's people, captured the allegiance of all of Israel. He was heavy with success. And he begun to think he could do God a favor. But if David continues to develop along these lines, he will be ruined as a representative of God's kingdom. And then Eugene says this, and it's good for us to consider. If any of us develops an identity in which God and God's grace is less important to who we are than our own actions and performance. Our ability to represent God's kingdom is utterly ruined. Let me say it again. If any of us develops an identity in which God and God's grace is less important to who we are than our own actions and our own performance, our ability to represent God's kingdom is utterly ruined. Think about it with me for a second if you would because there's a couple different ways to think in this moment depending on where you sit today, your background, your upbringing, and I don't know everybody's background, I don't know everybody's upbringing. But some of you think, you still think that you need to clean yourself up before you come to Jesus. Before you can have a relationship with the God of the universe who created you through Jesus Christ, you think you've gotta have your act together. You gotta do some good things. God, this will impress you. Or you compare yourself to other people who are doing worse things than you're doing. And that's how you feel like you're doing okay in the world. Well, at least I'm not, fill in the blank. At least I'm doing better than whoever you're pointing at in your mind. You think that doing stuff for God will make you accepted. There's others of us in the room, maybe you do have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, but where you still battle and struggle at times is you really think you're doing stuff for him alters his love and his care for you. You think he likes you just a little bit more because of the good stuff you're doing. He loves you a little bit more because you had a good week instead of a bad week, however you've defined good week or bad week or however you think God's defining good week versus bad week. 
And this uh, may be a little increasingly popular in uh, Western Christianity to uh, dunk on the Old Testament. Right here, 2 Samuel 7. God says, I'm a God of grace. My goodness and my kindness given to someone who deserves the opposite of my goodness and my kindness. That's who I am. I am with my people and I'm a God of grace. And then God says for Nathan to share with David a promise. So this is what David had wanted to do for God and God kind of comes back and goes, well, here's my counter promise, if you will. God says, here's what I'm gonna do. Look at verse 11. The second part. Furthermore, the Lord declares that he will make a house for you a dynasty of kings. For when you die and are buried with your ancestors, I will raise up one of your descendants, your own offspring, and I will make his kingdom strong. He is the one who will build a house, a temple for my name, and I will secure his royal throne forever. I will be his father, he will be my son. If he sins, I will correct and discipline him with the rod like any father would do. Verse 15 says, but my favor will not be taken from him as I took it from Saul, whom I removed from your sight. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time and your throne will be secure forever. What's God saying? Hey, David, someone will build me a temple. Someone will build me a house. We'll keep studying the story and we're gonna see that it's David's son, Solomon. But here God is telling David, I'm gonna make your descendants into a dynasty. And I know that word's getting thrown around a lot these days because the Kansas City Chiefs just won a few Super Bowls in a row. And if that's the only way that you're familiar with the term, I'm really sorry. Let me give you like a real definition. Dynasty means a succession of rulers of the same line of descent. Now hang with me on this. Go back and look at verse 12 again. When you see the word offspring here in verse 12, that's to take take David back to the covenant God made with Abraham back in Genesis, if you remember from the video, where God had said, Abraham, your offspring will be so numerous that they can't be counted, the children of Israel. But if you fast forward to the New Testament, the apostle Paul says this in Galatians 3. Paul says, God gave the promise to Abraham and his child. And notice that the scripture doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Jesus Christ. Paul says, in the covenant promise to Abraham, in the midst of all the descendants, there is one Jesus. And the meaning is this, through one Jesus, many will be saved and redeemed. And now back to 2 Samuel 7, God is saying, Jesus, the redeemer, will come from your line, David, that through this son of David, the promise to Abraham would finally be fulfilled. So listen, the reason I'm saying all of this is to say this, this is not simply a few verses about succession. It's about a promise of redemption. It's the promise of salvation. It's the promise of the new covenant that would be fulfilled in and only through Jesus Christ. And our gracious God, get a load of this, our gracious God is saying to David, way back, he's saying in verse 15, my favor, or in Hebrew, hesed, which means faithful love. God says, David, my faithful love will not be taken from you. I'm committed, and nothing will stop or break or hinder my commitment. Hey, David, you're gonna sin. 
I'm committed. David, you're gonna die. I'm still committed. David, your offspring are gonna have some issues. They'll mess up. I'm committed. David, your offspring, they will sin. I'm committed. David, they will not be committed. I'm committed. Why? Because our God, who is holy, who is with us, who is gracious, is a covenant-making, promise-keeping, redeeming God. That's who he is. And the son to come would be known as the Messiah. I don't know if you know this or not, but Saul and David are both called Yahweh's anointed 10 times each in 1 Samuel. And the Hebrew word for anointed is maziah, which is where we get our word Messiah. But from this time on, the people of Israel began to talk about a coming anointed one, a Messiah who would reign over Yahweh's kingdom forever. So yeah, when you get to the New Testament and you crack open your Bible there to Matthew 1.1, what does it say? The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Or let's get Christmassy. You wanna go to Luke 2.11? When the angel shows up to the shepherds, for unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Nathan went and shared everything with David. And I could do another 35 minutes on David's response to everything Nathan relayed, but I thought I would simply read it because in many ways it definitely speaks for itself based on what we've already discussed this morning. So look at verse 18, and I'm just gonna read, this is David's response to what God had said through Nathan, his prayer back to God. I just wanna read it to you because this is what David thinks about what he's heard about how this conversation's going. Verse 18, then King David went in and sat before the Lord and prayed. Who am I, O sovereign Lord, and what is my family that you have brought me this far? And now, sovereign Lord, in addition to everything else, you speak of giving your servant a lasting dynasty? Do you deal with everyone this way, O sovereign Lord? What more can I say to you you know what your servant is really like, sovereign Lord. Because of your promise and according to your will, you have done all these great things and have made them known to your servant. How great are you, O sovereign Lord? There is nobody like you. We have never even heard of another God like you. What other nation on earth is like your people Israel? What other nation, O oh God, have you redeemed from slavery to be your own people? You made a great name for yourself when you redeemed your people from Egypt. You performed awesome miracles and you drove out the nations and the little G gods that stood in their way. You made Israel your very own people forever and you, O oh Lord, became their God. And now, O oh Lord God, I am your servant. Do as you have promised concerning me and my family. Confirm it as a promise that will last forever. And may your name be honored forever so that everyone will say, the Lord of heaven's armies is God over Israel. And may the house of your servant David continue before you forever. O oh Lord of heaven's armies, God of Israel, I have been bold enough to pray this prayer to you because you revealed all of this to your servant. 
saying, I will build a house for you, a dynasty of kings. For you are God, O sovereign Lord, your words are truth, and you have promised these good things to your servant. And now may it please you to bless the house of your servant so that it may continue forever before you. For you have spoken, and when you grant a blessing to your servant, O sovereign Lord, it is an eternal blessing. David is so overwhelmed at the grace and the kindness and the commitment of his God. You didn't notice how he keeps referring to God and how he keeps referring to himself, right? Multiple times he calls God, oh, sovereign Lord. And multiple times he refers to himself as your servant. God, you are gracious and God, you are great. As I've prayed for you this week, I've prayed that you would be reminded or maybe here for the first time of who God is. What does this tell us about God? Picking up from last week that he is holy. Walking into this week that he is with us. That he is gracious. that he is committed. This chapter we looked at this morning, it's a marker in history, it's a marker in Israel's history, but it's also a marker in the history that is the salvation story that plays out across the pages of scripture and all of human history. And if you have a relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ, it's a marker in your history as you follow Jesus now and for all of eternity. And maybe, just maybe, the reminder for you today is this. God wants to remind you that he's committed to you. And nothing will stop or break or hinder his commitment because it's who he is. I mentioned it earlier, but the New Testament, the New Covenant, declares that all of God's covenant promises are realized in and through Jesus Christ. To put it more bluntly, you're gonna have some issues. God says, I'm committed. You're gonna mess up. God says, I'm committed. You're gonna sin. God says, I'm committed. You will not be committed. God says, I'm committed. How? Why? Because our God, who is holy, with us, gracious, is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping, redeeming God, and it's been his plan all along. The Jesus on Display podcast is produced right here at Fellowship Greenville in Greenville, South Carolina. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Follow and share this podcast with anyone who might be interested or curious about our church community or how storytelling unites us and helps us feel more connected. 
To actively keep up with what's going on at our church, head to our website at fellowshipgreenville.org. Follow us on all social media platforms and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Thanks so much for tuning in. Grace and peace to you for your week. We'll see you next time.